Uh, we're going to continue in Malachi. I'm not exactly sure where Brother Don stopped, but we're going to start in verse 13 today. Um, that's where the next paragraph begins. And we want to look in verses 13 through 18. Uh, isn't it, isn't God in control of things? It just worked out where Brother Don was able to pick up where I left off. And now I'm able to pick up somewhere around where he left off. And uh, it, is, it is really good to know that God's in control of everything. When we look in this passage, we begin to really hear the harshness of the people. We're talking about the people of God or the people who were, who were part of the Jewish family. And we know the Jewish family was the, the people of God or God's chosen people. And, and here in this passage, we hear their harshness. The Bible says in verse 13, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedly, wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God to go and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is God's holy word. God, as we do come before you at this moment, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. God, help us to be available to the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts throughout the remainder of this service, God, we pray that you would help us to see truth in your word. And God, that you would help us to see ourselves. And God, help us to evaluate whether we're becoming complacent, whether we're speaking harshly toward you. And God, we pray that we would repent. And that God, we would seek your face. And that God, it would be our desire to please you in every manner. Now, God, if there's any here with us today who doesn't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray, God, that, that you would speak to their hearts and help them to see their need for a Savior and that today they would call upon the name of the Lord. And God, we praise you for everything that you do, for we know that you, if they call upon you, you'll change their lives. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When we look in this passage, what we begin to see is so sad 
about this particular paragraph in the text is that the Israelites, they thought they'd done no wrong. People who rebel against God often see God as the one who's offending them and that they are the victims. And that's exactly where Israel is at this moment. This, this occurs because sin will dull our, con- our conscience. It will harden our hearts. Sin will blur our vision. And here we see a, a picture of that taking place with Israel. Here Israel has blamed God for their troubles. And the truth is, this happens often today. How often have you not heard someone who's going through a tough time question, where is God? I want to tell you where he's at. He's right there with you. We have a God who doesn't take the trouble away, but he goes through the trouble with us. That's testified by the Hebrew boys when they were put in that fiery furnace. He didn't take the fire away. He got in the fire with them and shielded them from the burn of the fire. It's testified of by Daniel when he was thrown in the lion's den to where God got in the lion's den with Daniel and made a pillow out of the lion's. We don't serve a God who's going to, get, who, who's going to just take trouble away from us. He's, we serve a God who wants us to trust him enough that he'll go through the trouble with us. And if God's with us in the midst of the trouble, then we're going to be okay. It may look dim. It may look dark, but we can trust him. He'll be right there with us. Here what we begin to see is two different people. For what we see is we see a faithless people. And then we see a faithful people. So just for our thoughts for the next few moments is faithless, the faithless versus the faithful. And I want to tell you, if you find yourself on the side of the faithless, you're living beneath your privilege. If you find yourself on the side of the faithful, you'll you'll find that God is with you and he is blessing you even when we don't recognize it. Here we see in the beginning of this This paragraph, when we begin with verses 13 through 15, we see a faithless Israel. The Lord lays a very serious charge against Israel. The people had said harsh things to the Lord. Well, what arrogance. What arrogance is it for anybody to say anything harsh to the one who gives life and the one who's able to take life? Here, this word harsh is translated as as hard or terrible. It's described as, it's the same word that's used in Exodus chapter 7 and chapter 9 when it describes Pharaoh's hardened heart. It indicates, this word harsh, it indicates a stubborn resistance. In in other words, the, the... the prophet here is telling the people that, that you've been really stubborn and you've been resisting God. And when you speak of God, you're speaking harshly of him. Three times Malachi blamed the people for dishonoring God with their words. In each accusation, it becomes a more serious charge. The quest, they questioned God. And we find that in chapter 1 and verse 7. Over in chapter 2 and verse 17, we find that they wearied God with their words. And here in verses 13, 14, and 15 in, in the third chapter of Malachi, what we find is they spoke harshly against God. In other words, they seem to take pleasure in 
insulting God and by disrespecting the very God who chose them and who called them to be his very own people. I want to tell you, you can't get more arrogant than that, than the very one who created us, that we would speak harshly toward him. And that's what Israel is doing at this time. They're speaking hard. They're just blatantly disrespecting God. Well, Israel tried to deny the accusation. As a matter of fact, they asked, what have we spoken against you? (laughs) What a testimony of just how far the people were from God. When this is brought to their attention that they've spoken harshly to God and they respond with the question, what have we said? What have we done? You know, whenever God makes an accusation toward us, our response is never to to ask, what have we done? Our response is that we repent of our sins because God is right. And if God tells us we've done something that's sinful, then we repent of that. Here the people were questioning God. They were bringing accusation back to God and saying, what have we done to you? You know, if this is our response, we're so far from God that we're unable to sense the the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's where they were at. They didn't even understand the conviction that should have been upon their lives. And I want to tell you the truth is, when when we don't sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we haven't drifted far from God. We've never belonged to God. And that's exactly where this group of people were. They weren't a faithful people who, who have lost their faith. They were a people who were faithless. They had no faith. In God. They didn't know him as Lord and Savior. Israel had become so blind that they didn't realize that what they were asking, while they knew about God, they had been told their history. They had been told about the covenant that God made with Abraham. They had been told about the covenant he made with Moses. They had been told of all the wondrous things that God had done, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he took care of them, where they didn't have to change their garments or change their shoes for 40 years in the wilderness, how he brought them into the promised land, and how he had took care of them and gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. They had been told all these things and still they didn't know God. In the midst of their own circumstances, they failed to look to God. They failed to trust him. Israel had become like Paul had described to Timothy when he told, tells Timothy to look out for something that's going to take place. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, the Bible says, but this I, but, but, but know this, that in the last days, pure, pure, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I want to tell you, it was happening back when Malachi was prophesying. It was happening when Paul was warning. Timothy and it's still happening today where people are blatantly putting their fist up in God's face and saying what do I owe you when we owe God everything we owe him our lives because he gave us life they had a head knowledge of God but he wasn't in their hearts I'm afraid that's where a lot are at today we know God we said the sinner's prayer but is he really in our hearts 
I tell you how we know if he's in our hearts. What is it that we're doing for him if we don't find ourselves doing anything for him? He's not in our hearts because I'm convinced that when God is in our hearts, then we're looking to do something for the Lord. We're not having to be begged. We're not having to be prodded. We're not having to be, to be persuaded, but, but we will go out and persuade others to come to know this man, Jesus. They asked the question, what have we said? So God answers their question. God says, you have said it's useless to serve God. You asked, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance. You ask, what profit is it that we walk as mourners before the Lord of hosts? How can anyone be so arrogant that they wouldn't humble themselves before the very God who created them? The very one who gave life and has the power to take life. The same God who loves us so much that he came to earth to dwell with us. This same God who came to experience life in the flesh so that we would know that he understands our infirmities. He loved us so much that he took our place and he received our penalty for our sins. Though he was sinless, Israel became so desensitized to their own sin that they were doubting even the value of knowing God. Man, I want to tell you there's a value in knowing God. How do you know that? I'm glad you asked. The way I know that is I sleep in peace at night. I have peace in this world. Trouble comes. We're living in a sin-cursed world. If you think that Trouble's not coming. Just keep living. It's going to come, whether you're serving him or whether you're not. But in the midst of serving him and in the midst of trouble, we can have peace. We can have joy. We can have comfort. We can have strength when it seems the world has knocked us down and it only comes from serving him. There's value in serving the Lord. There are people all over the world who doubt the value in serving God. And there may be even some here today who's wondering, is it worth it? The truth is, the Christian life is not going to always be smooth. There will be tough times, but it's more than worth it. If you don't believe that, ask Job as he testifies that, that when he lost his wealth and he lost his children, he lost his health, and his wife told him to curse God and die. Job's response to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Job had already said, naked I come into this world. Naked shall I leave out of this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understood that it, he was worth serving no matter what come his way. Job also said... <laughs> He said, though he slayed me, I will trust him. He was able to say that because Job understood when he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand in the, at, at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Job had an understanding. And I hope you who know God as your, as your Savior through his Son, Jesus Christ, I hope you are really catching on to the fact that, that God, one day we're going to get to see him. That he is worth serving. That he there's value in serving him because we have a hope that goes beyond this world. If your only hope is in this world, you're already miserable but, but I want you to know there's hope beyond this life there's a hope that one day while trouble may come 
here on earth, there's coming one day where I'm going to stand. The Lord himself is going to stand on the earth and when he does, I'll get to see him for, for who he is. I'm telling you, there's coming a day where disease won't rid this body. I won't have to worry about heart attacks. I won't have to worry about cancer. I won't have to worry about wheelchairs. I won't have to worry about glasses. I won't have to worry about my hearing going. I won't have to worry about losing my breath. I won't have to worry about anything because I'm going to have a body not made by man, but a body made by the hand of God. A body that will be able to look upon his face and see him as Lord as Lords and King of Kings. Oh, we ought to be excited. We ought to be excited that we serve a God such as this. And here, here Israel, they're speaking harshly to him. In their own way, they were condoning evil. We look there in verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed, for they do wickedness. For they who do wickedness are raised up. Look, they're saying the proud and the arrogant are blessed. They're saying the wicked are raised up or, or they're prosperous. They're saying that, you know, we even tempt God and go free. They had no idea that they were praising sin. But the psalmist Asaph seemed to feel the same way about the Lord. If you look in Psalm 73, you'll begin to see that this psalmist, he starts out this psalm saying some of the same stuff. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But listen, he, he makes that statement. And it is a true statement. And then he follows it up. But as for me, my feet have almost stumbled. My steps have ne had nearly slipped. But I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death. But their strength is firm. Here we see in verses 2 through 4 that Asaph is he's envious of the wicked because they seem to prosper. And they had health and they were physically doing well. But then we see down in verse 12 where he says, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease and they increase in riches. Here the psalmist sees what he sees with his eyes. He don't see from a spiritual side in this moment. In this moment, he's seeing physically. And what it seems like is that those who are doing evil are prospering. Does it ever feel that way to you? Do you ever feel like those who are doing good are suffering? Those who are doing bad are prospering? I want to tell you, I, the old saying that only the good die young seems to be prevalent in this life that we're living in. But there's more to the story than that. It doesn't end with that. If we look here, verses 15 through 20, we see a shift. We see a shift in the thoughts and the attitude of, of this of psalmist. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would, have been, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. In other words, he said, if I'd have stopped here and I'd have, I left this message with you, and this is all that I'd have said, I wouldn't have been telling you the whole truth. I'd have been telling you a lie. I wouldn't have been telling you everything that you needed to know. Because he goes on to say, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful. 
painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood that they're in. Listen, folks, the reason we're getting, the reason we're struggling in this world, the reason we're seeing sin seem to prevail and, and we're, we're getting discouraged is because we're not spending time with God. The psalmist here went to the sanctuary of the Lord. In other words, he got in a prayer closet. He got into a place where he could spend time with God. And as he spent time with God, God began to reveal some truth to him. He says this, surely you had set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream. When one wakes, so Lord, when you awake, you despise their image. Here, he t- it takes this different twist. In other words, the, the psalmist has found out that, that there's more to the story. The psalmist has found, find out that they may look like they're prospering. Listen, unsaved, you may look like everything's going well in your life, but if you continue to disobey God, he's got a place for you. He's got a trap for you, and you'll fall right into it. I want to tell you the grass is a greener on the other side. I want to tell you, unsaved, those of you who know the Lord as, as your Lord and Savior, listen, there's nothing out there in the world that you'll benefit from. What you'll benefit from is spending time with an almighty God. He is worth serving. Look down there in verses 27 and 28. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Those who are far from God will perish. He will destroy those who are unfaithful to him. But as for me, (laughs) the psalmist is saying, as for me, it is good to be near God. And I will trust him and declare that he is God. Folks, it's good to be near God. (laughs) You know, when we get nearest to God, when troubles hit us, (laughs) we'll fall on our knees and we'll cry out to others to come, they'll come and pray, seek God's face on our behalf. I want to tell you, we need to be praying all the time. We need to be praying in the good times as well as the hard times because we need to be near God at all times. God hasn't moved. He's right where he's always been. He's right there living within us. But there are times when we, as a people, we are guilty of, uh, of, of really pressuring the Holy Spirit, making it an uncomfortable place for him to dwell in us. It's us that walks away from God as he's beckoning at us. Come, come. And we keep going further and further away. But God wants us near him. He wants us near him so he can bless us. And when he blesses us, we'll see the blessings when we are near him. You know, sometimes we have to get away from our trouble and get close to God before we can see the blessings in the trouble. God hasn't left us in our trouble just to suffer. He's blessing us even in the midst of it. Now, some of you are wondering, where is he blessing me? Just keep looking for God. (laughs) You keep looking for him and you'll see the blessings even in the midst of the tough times. It may appear that the wicked are living well. It may seem that they're getting away with evil, but God has a plan for them. You know, my my job isn't to worry about the wicked. My job isn't to worry about what they're doing. My job is to pray for them because God has a plan. 
folks, we can all rest assured sin will be dealt with. Jesus didn't die in vain. We can receive his forgiveness and know that he has dealt with our sins on the cross of Calvary. Or we can reject him and we will pay the penalty of our sins. It's our choice. We can live as a faithless people if we choose to. And we'll find ourselves destroyed. But we look here in verses 16 through 18, we begin to see a faithful remnant. The true believers feared the Lord. They shared his word with one another. When we look here in this, and then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So the book of remembrance was written before them and those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. Here there's a picture almost of the believers meeting together, praying for one another, encouraging one another, instructing one another in the word of God. Folks, when we come together praying together, encouraging one another and instructing one another in God's word, God's pleased and he will hear and he will remember us. Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, stated this, God is not aloof. He, also, he says continually through the centuries, I'll help you. I really will. When you're ready to throw up your hands and throw them to me. <laughs> Until we get ready to just stop trying to fix it ourselves and just give it to him. We won't get the blessings that he wants for us. But it's when we'll just let go and we'll trust him and say, God, I've done all I can do. And all I can do is make a mess. But God, I trust you because you can fix the mess I'm in. God wants to help us. He desires to help us. You know, I don't know if you know anything about Brooklyn Tabernacle. I'm pretty sure you know about their choir. But that church started with just a handful of people. And God got a hold of a pastor's heart. And the pastor got a hold of some people who would pray and who would commit to praying. And they run several services and they got thousands of people there now. And they got the one choir that every known singer wants to sing with. Because they got in touch with God. Listen, folks, if we want things to take place in our lives, if we really want to be blessed, we got to come together. We got to get on one accord and we got to seek God's face. You want to know what happened when those, he, when those boys got together in that upper room and they got on one accord and they began seeking God's face? The power of God came down in the, in the presence of his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit still revive, uh, resides within us that are born again. We don't see the power probably because we're not on one accord. We're not willing to sacrifice and come together and seek God's face but when we do we'll see great things happen if you want to see it happen in this church we've got to come together we got to put aside our selfishness we got to put aside our desires and start seeking what it is that God wants in our lives it's when we come together seeking him and not our own wisdom that we'll actually see the power of God move and move in a mighty way. Here, Israel was complacent. Folks, we, God's doing a lot in this church. <laughs> I've said this for the, last, for the past several weeks. God is doing a lot. And we've got to continue seeking him. We can't, what we're doing is not enough. 
If you're satisfied with what we're doing, let's just close the doors and lock them up and put a for sale sign on the walls. I'm serious. If you were satisfied with what we're doing, tell me and I'll go find somewhere else to pastor. I want you to know that there's more that we can do for the Lord. If we're ever satisfied with what we're doing for the Lord, we've lost our way because we could never do enough for what he done for us. He left glory, came down and died in our place so that we could spend eternity with him. We should never, we should never be satisfied. If you think, well, I, I'm, I'm, you know, that, I think that's the problem with us in our homes and with our families. We as fathers, we tend to think, well, I'm a good enough father. Well, what's good enough? If we're not exemplifying Jesus Christ, then we're not a good enough father. If we're not doing everything in our power to be the father that we're supposed to be, what about us as husbands? If we're not doing everything in our power to be the husbands that God would have us to be, we're not a good enough husband. What about being wives? If you're not, if you're not doing everything that God would say do, that you're not doing good enough as a wife. What about mothers? If you're not doing everything that God would say to do for your children, then you're not being the mother that he would have you to be. And it's not enough. I'm telling you, half-hearted stuff, half-stepping, half-doing anything, it's not pleasing to God. He says to love him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And then love one another. As we love ourselves. You know, we won't have problem with the second one if we get the first one right. And I'm included in this. I'm not just I'm not preaching at you. <laughs> I'm preaching to us that this is just the truth of God's word. When God is pleased with us, it's worth it because when He's pleased with us, He hears us. We see that there in the text. He hears us and his blessings and promises are abundant. He saw their witness and he heard their prayers. Those of those faithful few, that remnant, he saw their faithfulness and he heard their prayers. You know, he still does that today. In John 15 and 7, the Bible says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's profitable for us to serve him because he keeps a record. He records the names in the book of remembrance. Some scholars say that this is the book of life. Revelation 3 and 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels. It's worth Serving him. It's profitable because the Bible says that he will make them his very own. Part of his treasured possession. They'd be delivered from a day of judgment. First Peter says, but you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. In him who sent me. A holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know. Does that, does that strike a chord with you? Oh, when I, hit, when I read this in my study, I, I've, I've taught First Peter. I've preached through First Peter. But this just struck another chord with me. He says, I will be his own. And he will be mine. 
the God of glory, the God who spoke and the world came into existence, the God who carved man out of the dust of the ground, the God, the God who covered man's sin by the skin of an animal, the God who destroyed the world with water, the God who replenished the world with people, the God who called his own people out, the God who, who blessed them and who delivered them by walking on, a, on dry ground in the midst of a red sea, the same God who gave them a land flowing with milk and honey, the same God who was faithful to them and gave his son to be our savior the same God who gave us the Holy Spirit when his son went back to be with him the same God who's left the promise that his son's coming back the same this same God says we can be his we can be his and he will be ours boy that ought to excite us that ought to excite us that God God says you will be mine my own people He says in here that he will spare them from condemnation because they have served the Lord. John 5 and 4 says, most assuredly, King James says, verily, verily. And when you see that, he's saying you can trust it. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life shall not come into judgment but is passed from death into life or to know that the sting of death has been taken away to know that the power of the grave we've escaped all because we know this man Jesus listen if you're here today and you're not saved you're missing out on this peace just knowing that you will never die. You'll go to sleep and you'll wake up in glory. Amen. Boy, that, that thrills my soul. <laughs> that in itself is worth serving him. But you know why I served him? Why I serve him? Because he loves me. <laughs> Nobody has ever loved me like Jesus. Boy, there's nothing like a mother's love. Fathers, I, I believe we love our children, but it's not the same as a mother's love. Uh, I, now, no man can love his child more than I love mine, but my love for Taylor is not the same as Iola's love for Taylor. I'm not saying her love's greater. I'm saying it's different. There's no love like a mother's love. But it doesn't come close to God's love. <laughs> I'm mama's oldest youngin'. <laughs> I'm daddy's pride and joy. But they couldn't love me like Jesus loves me. Because he first loved me in the midst of my mess. I love him today. Right where you're at. If you're here today and you're lost. You don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He loves you greater than you could ever imagine. God, I wouldn't walk out of this place not knowing him. I won't walk out of this place and not been able to look at my wife and my children or my mother or my father and say, I'm saved and it's well with my soul. I wouldn't walk out and, and, be, and not be able to tell them that if something happens to me tomorrow, everything is okay. You rejoice for me because I'm going on to be with one Amen. who loves me more than I could love myself.
Here in Malachi 18, we see the conclusion of this paragraph. Malachi responds to the criticisms made against the Lord in chapter 2 and 17. And again here in verses 14 and 15. The faithless complain that it made little difference whether one served God or not since he didn't distinguish between those who do and those who do not serve him. (laughs) But Malachi shares with them in this verse that there is a difference. There is a distinction. As a matter of fact, he says, then you shall gain discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Malachi shares that God will execute justice. He will make a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. There's going to be a clear distinction between the faithless and the faithful. Like a true shepherd coming to claim his lost sheep, God will come to claim his people. Like a bridegroom coming for his bride, the Lord will come and receive those who are prepared to meet him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When Jesus comes, those who received him by faith will know the difference. And on the day of judgment... Those who rejected Jesus will know the difference. There's coming a day. It may look to us with carnal eyes that the righteous is suffering and the wicked is getting away with their dirt. But there's coming a day when all of that will be settled. Jesus is coming for his bride. He's coming for his church, his peculiar people. Thank you for listening to the Reedy Branch Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you to love the gospel, live the gospel, and share the gospel. May God richly bless you this day.